0: Hi, this is Allison Grace. I am the managing editor of Intellectual Inc. Magazine. Today we will be speaking to uh, Dyshan Washington, um, an amazing author, uh, former first lady, um, inspirational uh, speaker, and um, just an all around great person who has been through uh, obstacles that one would not believe, but through faith and focus she um has been able to conquer so today we're gonna speak to her about so many things that she has going on positive growth uh i'm excited and i hope you are too talk to you soon and here she is the lady of the hour miss dashan washington Uh, i got it right right you got it right (laughs) <laughs> How are you? I am us?
1: wonderful. How are you?
0: I'm good. And you're in um, Atlanta, right? Yes, I am in Atlanta. How's the weather out there?
1: Well, today it is chilly. Very sunny, but it's chilly. And so I guess we are entering into the true fall season. I hope so, because I love the fall weather.
0: I don't know. Today's a really good day here in New York. It's about uh, 72 degrees. Um, I might see oh. in shorts. Um, I see some people in sweats. So it's kind of like depending on fun. how you feel.
1: Yeah, you guys are having that L.A. weather.
0: But I love it. I'm so sad to see summer go because that's my favorite season.
1: I know because you guys get harsh winters, right, with the snow and all that stuff. So.
0: Yes, and I'm also a summer baby. I love, the love, love the heat. That mm-hmm. is just
1: my favorite. Um, oh, yeah. So you're not in the
0: shoes and.
1: Yeah, um, I yeah, I can deal with it. I can do without it because I'm have I'm starting to have personal summers now because I'm 41 and so I may just get hot for no reason at all nowadays. So I'm kind of happy to see the summer leave uh, <laughs> <laughs> because I have the personal ones every night. It took
0: night. me a minute to realize <laughs> what you were talking about. I was like, wait a minute, I'm 45, and, I, and <laughs> I, I think I'm starting to have my personal summers. Um, mm-hmm. I actually started that started with me probably a few years ago. But mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and that's something that I, I could definitely tell you a story about because it's whew, that I don't know. I'm trying God, to get God, a God has reason for yeah.
1: it. God has a reason for
0: everything to tell you. He has a reason for everything.
1: Mm-hmm. So let's jump
0: into this. So um okay. for those that don't know, tell them a little bit about who you are.
1: Oh, wow. You know, every time I'm asked that question, I just I I draw a blank because I I so many different people or I'm the same person, but I wear a lot of different hats. Let me say it that way. Um, But, you know, probably to your audience, a lot of people may know me from being an author. Um, and you know, so I'm an author, I'm an entrepreneur on multiple businesses. I'm a pastor now. I'm a, i am am a mother. I am a, oh gosh, what else? <laughs> I'm, friend, every, I'm the life coach, woman, yeah. life coach, business coach. Uh, I just retired from ghost So I was a ghost writer for a minute. Um, I am a thespian. I am a film director, filmmaker. I'm so many different things. You
0: are every woman. It is all in Everyone. you. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So you mentioned that you're an author. Um, yes.
1: What inspired your first novel? Well, here's a here's the thing. Um, my first novel is not the one that everybody knows me for. Everybody knows me for Diary of a Mad First Lady, right? But my very first novel was called Up High, Down Low, Too Slow. And I wrote that particular book because I had just gotten out of the theater industry, I had a really horrible experience with the promoter from Hollywood, and I just got really disgusted with you just the uh, industry. And I, but I did not, I didn't want to stop telling stories, and so it never dawned on me, you know, to write a book because I had just been writing plays since the fifth grade. But because I still wanted to tell stories, uh, I. I remember going into a Walmart, and the first time, that was the first time I'd ever saw a book by a person of color. And those two authors happened to be Kimberla Lawson Robey. And my god, my literary godmother, Victoria Christopher Murray, it was their two books were on the shelves. And I was fascinated. I was like, oh my God, there are there are books by, you know, people colored. So I got, you know, inspired by seeing their books on the shelves and still wanting to tell them stories as well. And so I thought I would give give it a try, and that's how my very first book was um, inspired. And but nobody knew about it because I didn't really tell anybody. I didn't know what I was doing, and so I only sold it to family and friends. Um, And then a couple years later, I met Victoria Christopher Murray, who played a very instrumental role in motivating me to write Diary of a Mad First Lady. And then the rest is history, as they say.
0: Wow, it's funny. I guess we're sisters for real because um, I call. Victoria, my literary godmother. <laughs> oh
1: wow! Had, um,
0: love I love her. I love her so much, um, and I, I will never forget the exchange that I had. I actually had a, a an exchange with um, with another author. Uh, I don't know if I'll, I'll say it, but we had we had an exchange, mm-hmm. and it wasn't very. You know what? I'm going to say it because it's a teachable moment. Mm-hmm. Um. Zane had posted on something on Facebook in the status. It was about, um, it was, she wanted to to open up a conversation for new and aspiring authors. Right. So she was asking, um, how people are being treated in the industry. You know, are you able to reach out to people? You know, you mentioned you're a mentor. A lot of, I know a lot of people are come to you at times and, um, you're open to it, but some people, you know, in their industry are not very open to it. And that goes along mm-hmm. the lines of authors, a lot, not a lot of veteran authors are open to speaking to those that are aspiring, because mm-hmm. number one, it takes time, number two, they don't listen. <laughs> and number three is just, you know, especially if you're someone that consults for a price, mm-hmm. they they cannot or are not willing to pay at that moment. Mm-hmm. So um, the conversation was, are, are are authors getting information that you know is well received and And I said, no, no i I don't feel like I can reach out to someone and um vane did not she didn't like that comment. she didn't like mm-hmm. the fact that that I spoke up for the new and aspiring office, this was years ago mm-hmm. and um and Victoria messaged me and asked me to go out to lunch. And we ended up meeting up in juniors in New York City, and um, I gave her a copy of my book, and she read it, and she was able to help me and critique me, and yes. it was, you know, of course, received in love. Like I didn't ask for <laughs> that, you know. She's she's a busy woman. She's an author, but she gave me exactly what I was talking about, open arms. You yes, know what I'm saying, and that's yes. that's what that's not what. A lot of people are given. And you, and I was having this same conversation uh, yesterday. No, the day before. You don't know the impact that you have on someone's life. Right. When yes. you even have a conversation with them. Because if I was on my last, last, last option. And I needed the help. And I had too many doors slammed on me. No, no, no. Oh, I don't have time. Oh, I can't do this. What if I just at that time decided, no, I'm not going to write anymore because no one is welcoming me. Right. You know right. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And shout out to Zane. You know, I, I I love and appreciate her. Um, she She's very thought-provoking. She's a very nice person we've actually met. Um, mm-hmm. But, but the, the fact that Victoria opened her arms and was able to speak to me and encourage me. Yes. Um, that kind of changed the trajectory of my life because I was like, my voice matters. You know yes. what I'm saying? Yes. And, yes. Um, I, I pre—I definitely appreciate that. Kimberla actually was on the cover of our magazine. So yeah, she's you know, amazing too.
1: Yeah. yeah, she's amazing too. Met her, talked to her, spoke to her several times. Um, you know, I remember when I got started, I didn't know anything. I just I just knew I loved telling stories, and so I was really embarrassed after writing the first book because when I got it back, you know, you self-publish, you don't know what anything is gonna look like. You get it back, and you and I was I remember thinking this is not what their books look like in the store. And I was just like, I'm never going to sell this book. And at that time I was married and my husband was like, oh, you're going to sell these books because I just paid for 500 books to get shipped to this house. You're going to sell these books. And and I, you know, I ended up giving them away later on. But Victoria was very instrumental in teaching me um, how to hone the craft of writing. She was like, you have a natural gift of, tel- of storytelling. You just now need to, you know, sharpen your skills. And so I became a student of the craft. She, she motivated me to become a student of the craft. And I tell any inspired author, you know, you can be really good at telling stories. You can even feel like you're an amazing writer, but you are a student until you're not. And even to this day, I still study whatever it is that I'm doing and I'm putting my energy into. I study the great people who've already done it or are at the top of their game because you can never learn too much. And so I really appreciate her, you know, in all that she's done to blaze the trail for so many of us. And, um, you know, every now and then we get together, we get on the phone and we just stay on the phone and stay on the phone. And we have this joke among us, you know, both of us, we're just always like, okay, we have to schedule time to talk. Cause we get on the phone and we'll still be talking three and four and five hours later. Nobody's writing, nobody's getting any work done. And so <laughs> we joke about it all the time. So, I love
0: that. but I love yeah, that.
1: I love her. I love her. Mm-hmm.
0: So you did mention that you were married, and you're very vocal yes. with that. Mm-hmm. Um, if I can, without getting too personal, it's, it's up to you. Um, how did that um, let me see how I can form this sentence. How Just did ask that come, it. <laughs> Yeah, right? How did the dissolution um, of
1: your marriage change you? Wow um, and so. I'm, as you stated, I'm very vocal, very transparent. People who follow me know that I will tell it all in part that partly because I believe in telling my own story so people can get it right when they try to retell it. You know, right. they can get it straight from me, you know, um, it changed me in a number of ways. Um, obviously, um, negatively it affected me, um, initially because my self-esteem tanked, I didn't feel worthy. Um, I did not feel loved. I felt rejected. I felt abandoned. All of the things that traditionally come with the dissolution of a marriage. Um, But on the other hand, I found myself, I got married when I was 16 years old. And so I like to tell people that my ex-husband raised me. He raised me to be the woman he wanted. And, um, and so after he left, I didn't know who I was apart from him. And so that is what led to the suicidal attempts because I just felt like I didn't have a purpose in the earth if I was not married to him. And so um, it, it, the divorce taught me how to hustle. It taught me how to survive. It taught me how to tap into a skill set that I didn't even realize I had. I didn't even know that I knew how to be an entrepreneur for real. You know, we have built some things together, but I had never done anything myself. So it taught me my strength. It, it showed me and revealed to me my own power um, to be able to build a life and manifest the life that I want. Um, it taught me. It it taught me the do's and don'ts of relationships, too. I I love talking about this because I learned so much. I learned more in my divorce than I ever did in my marriage. And I was married for 17 years. I was married for 17 years. And so being that I got married so young, I spent, you know, the first several years just going through the motions of what I had seen my mother and my grandmother do. I didn't really understand what true marriage was and partnership and all of those things. And so after I got a divorce, I set out on a journey to not only discover me, but to discover, um, the components of marriage that we don't talk about, that we don't teach, the things that we don't share with other women and other men about how to make marriage work, what love really is. I didn't know lo- love was a choice. I thought that you just haphazardly meet somebody and you get the goosebumps and the butterflies and you say to yourself, oh, this must be the one. But then after you know growing up and maturing, I realized it's a choice you have to make every single day. You know, and so, so many things um, that I learned, but it changed me, I would say, for the good for, I, I'm a better woman than I was 10 years ago when the marriage dissolved. Um, and it also, now that I have two daughters, you know, it, it, it made me a very strong woman, uh, which you know, serves as a strong example to my daughters. They're looking up to me. They're seeing what I'm doing, how I'm maneuvering through life. And to hear them say, mommy, we're so proud of you. You know, it just warms my heart because Ariana, my youngest, everybody knows her as Oreo. She wasn't born yet. Um, but when I got a divorce, my our daughter together, she was, excuse me, a little less than a year old. And so she doesn't remember us being married. She doesn't, you know, she doesn't remember that. She remembers the first five years of her life, you know, us kind of struggling. Um, Everything was rocky. Everything was, you know, vague. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I didn't know how to survive and so she's kind of been on that journey with me and so to be on the other side of all of that now is rewarding because she can remember couch hopping with me and you know sometimes sleeping in the car with me. Wow. She remembers a lot of that is it's amazing because you know I would not have thought she would remember but she does. Yeah. And so it makes it makes where we are now even the sweeter because she she knows mommy worked really hard to get us to where we are.
0: That's amazing. Um the story is definitely one that, that's inspiring and um whew, uh, you've been through a lot. Girl, you've been through a lot. You are a survivor for real, for real. Uh, from this angle, you know you look like Shanice, the singer. Right from this angle. <laughs> really? Yes, yes. I don't know, maybe it's the hair. Um, Probably. <laughs> but, um, so, uh, let me see. If you could ask 12-year-old 12 12 you a question, right now, pertaining to what you know, what would you ask, and what would be the advice that you would give? I could ask my twelve-year-old self. Let's see, twelve
1: years old. Uh, I would probably ask myself why. Why are you trying so hard to fit in? Mm. Because at twelve years old, that is what I was doing, and I found myself doing that throughout adulthood too. Um, my advice to my 12 year old self would be sweetheart embrace your differences you were not meant you were not born to fit in you were born to be a trans you were born to blaze trails you don't have to fit in you don't have to be accepted by your peers you don't have to dress like them it's okay to be okay with how you look and how you feel, and those thoughts that you think are crazy, they really aren't crazy, because it's only crazy until it happens, you know, and so I would tell my 12-year-old self, you know, you, you're on the right path, you know, you're, even though you think nobody likes you, and nobody is accepting of you, just keep on living, because there's going to be your people, there will be people who will be in your tribe who will want to know what you have to say and they will want to experience what you have to offer. They'll want to have what you have to give. And so I would just tell her to just remain confident, you know, because at 12 years old, um, I was struggling with peer pressure because I didn't think the way my peers thought, you know, I was always so much more mature than my age which you know I said I got married at 16 but at 16 years old I was probably thinking like an 18 19 20 year old person um, because I grew up in a in a home with pastors and I'd seen a lot my grandparents were pastors and so I was never your average 12 year old Um, but I would just really encourage myself to just at that time, just be a kid, number one. You know, that that would be part of what I would say, number one. And then number two, like I said, to just be okay with being different. I hated that I was different. Mm-hmm. I hated it. And now looking back, I realize those differences is what has gotten me. The influence that I have, the platform that I have, the opportunities that I've been afforded has been because of my differences and because I don't think like everybody else thinks.
0: Wow. So you sparked two questions that I had, um, but the one that's on the forefront right now is you have went you have gone viral for mm-hmm, uh-huh. for one of <laughs> <laughs> oh boy for one of your um your Facebook messages. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> You want to expound on that because I well,
1: which one? I've gone viral a couple of times. I went viral for Christian erotica. Yes, um, and then I went viral for single, saved, and still horny. Yes,
0: yes. yes. Um, <laughs> that one is just that's the one that that sticks out to me because
1: yeah, single and
0: saved, and then as horny on the <laughs> on the end.
1: Mm-hmm. But um,
0: you know, sometimes you have to have some sort of clickbait to get people's attention and right. then when they come in then they're able to hear all sides and then they put it all together in a nice little bowl and then it's like well you know what maybe that's that's exactly what she you did to say
1: you know it's crazy though ellison i really didn't do it for clickbait
0: i'm just me no this is what they're doing now though
1: oh yeah 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 i i googled myself recently and on youtube and i didn't even realize that people had done YouTube videos about me until like three weeks ago. <laughs> and I was like, you know, because I talk like that, you know, I'm real. I'm so transparent. I'm so real that sometimes it's like it can come across offensive because mm-hmm. everybody can't accept the realness. They can't, They, especially in the church industry, church world, if I can say that, you know, we're so used to sugarcoating things and mm-hmm. hiding behind the truth. And I just never once I got divorced, I, I found a new a new freedom, right? Mm-hmm. And so the whole time I was married, I didn't really have a voice. I was just really what everybody wanted me to be. And then that moment I found myself, I realized I like speaking. I like saying what was on my mind. And so that particular day, I remember like yesterday, I was on the phone with my assistant. And um, I had put up a post from an inbox chronicle that I had gotten about from some woman saying... You know, your your Christian erotica is promoting the wrong thing or something. And you need to be a woman of God and blah, blah, blah. blah. And I was like, you know, I went on her page. I looked and saw that she was not married. And I asked her, do you ever get horny? Like, I mean, it was just a flat out question. Like, I didn't think anything was wrong with it. And she was like, no, I don't. I don't I don't get horny because, you know, I'm I'm constantly with my mind on Jesus and I'm in the word or whatever. And I was like, wow, that's amazing because I love Jesus, too. And I read the Bible, too. But every now and then I get horny. I'm sorry. Maybe something's wrong with me. And so I told my assistant, I said, I want to do a symposium or or Facebook live. I want to talk about this because I think people are living in denial that Christians are having sex or they're horny. Maybe they're not having sex, but they want to unless they have some type of medical condition, you know, and I'm like, I was married for. 17 years. And I know that my body did not get the memo and that I was no longer married. It did not get a direct message or an inbox a text or nothing, an email, nothing. My body was doing what my body does, you know, and there was no way for me to shut my hormones off. And I felt like people needed to have that discussion. And so I, honest to God, was just like, I just wanted to have a real discussion. I told my assistant, put it on the flyer. And she was like, you know, people are gonna have issue with that word. And I was like, I don't care. They don't have to listen. They definitely don't have to pay the seven dollars to hear what I gotta say. Um, but just I wanna go with it because it's real. And I really did not expect for it to go viral. I really I got a call from my my friend and she was like, you know, you're trending on Twitter. And I was like, Me for what? And she was like, this symposium that you're doing is trending. It's all over social media. It's on the blogs. It's on Baller Alert. It's on Hollywood Unlocked. It's on Shade Room. And I, I promise you, Allison, I was so blown away. I thought to myself, these people have nothing else to do than to sit here and talk about me using the word horny, the word that we use behind the scenes all the time. I I didn't get it like I honestly didn't get it but I was happy for the exposure and it cost seven dollars to have that conversation with me and and people from all the way to Australia I made some money off that nice but do you know why they 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 felt like it was offensive yeah I understand why they felt like it was offensive I'm from the church world I'm third generation So, yeah, I I totally get why they didn't want to use the word horny, but it's the same reason why Christian erotica went viral because they didn't think Christian and erotica should be in the same sentence when the word erotica derives from the Greek word eros, which is a form of love um and so i'm educated bible educated right a lot of people don't know that about me like i literally went to bible college and so every argument that people come to me with i can literally with scripture Mm-hmm. Totally, have you be quiet? You know that's what I mean. So like, again. I was prepared for it. It was like, okay, come with it. You know, if I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong. Show me where I'm wrong. But you got to be able to show me because I'm not easily influenced by spiritual bullying.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? But I
1: understood why they were, um they were, they felt a little tight and were offended. Yeah, I got it. But hey, sometimes it's the hard conversations that lead us to deliverance. <laughs> At the end of the day, that's what I'm going for
0: ma'am that is a whole word oh, a <laughs> whole
1: <laughs> I <need to>
0: drink. <laughs> oh my lord need a moment can you say that again please
1: i so said sometimes it's the tough conversations that lead us to deliverance
0: yes some people don't get that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like i'm literally saying i'm about to Why? Because the tough conversations are the ones that resonate the deepest. Mm -hmm. But it only works when you listen with your heart. You can't just listen with the ear. You have to listen with your heart. Mm -hmm. You have to literally take in and understand through your soul, your spirit, your being, not your physical ear, mm-hmm. exactly what's being said, because that is listening to respond, not to comprehend. If that was a person, right. that is exactly what that is. Because mm-hmm. people, you know, people like to go back and forth. People like the debate. It's like ping pong. They love to cash and receive mm-hmm. and and throw it back. Mm-hmm. Other people, kind of like you and kind of like me, we take things, we hold on to it, we analyze mm-hmm. it, you take a look, mm-hmm. you take a piece of it, put it down, mm-hmm. give the rest back. You know what I'm saying? That's that's yes. that's taking taking the meat and throwing away the bones. Mm-hmm. Sometimes things don't don't resonate or or um, apply to certain things but then the rest of that you have to say okay well maybe this is what she meant and this mm-hmm. is what was said but I'm going to take that because that is just that's, that's a good good point mm-hmm. and I'm going to hold on to it but everything else I'm, I'm going to give back because that, does, that doesn't apply to me right. people don't think like that and right. you know I, I appreciate your honesty I absolutely do because I grew up in the church uh mm-hmm. huh, and um, you know, there were times to be absolutely transparent when I listened to the messages about, oh, you gotta, you gotta get your husband, your husband's coming for you, and blah blah blah. But then, when there were men in the church, they were literally vetted by leadership, mm-hmm. and picked out and it was Joe was for Sarah Mark was for Betty Mm -hmm. they they couldn't switch or intertwine because this is the person that that God had for you they picked you you couldn't go out and you couldn't date anybody else outside of the church you couldn't bring a man in because they looked at him like why are you here this is not the man for you it was almost kind of like an arranged marriage type thing yeah and that left a lot of women socially awkward That left a lot of women um, wondering, does he really like me? Uh Um, How will I know? Like the Whitney Houston song. Uh Um, Because they did not know how to date. They did not know how to recognize red flags. Right. They were marrying these men Uh that God had for them. Yes. Because. It was arranged, vetted, and set up by the leadership, Uh and these men were being perceived as absolutely amazing when, in fact, they had deep, dark secrets. Yes, because they could not, you know, um, be vetted properly, or 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 they couldn't really do, you know, their own type of background check, and they weren't. They were very unsure. They were left in very uncomfortable situations. growing up in the in you were basically a preacher's kid a pk mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um how does that affect you going forward with with your marriage and and your dating life if 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 that even you know applies? Well,
1: well you know i was raised sheltered you know what i believed to be sheltered at that time i did not understand my parents were trying to protect me um from life you know um I did not understand the pressures that they were under trying to raise the perfect kids because we were the PKs, you know. I didn't get that until much later in life. But I didn't really have a dating life. I got married at 16. So I was able to maybe go on a couple of dates, but for the most part, you know, whatever dating I did was what the guy I ended up marrying as a kid, pretty much. Um Initially, when I got married, I was trying to be my mother and my grandmother. Mm-hmm. When they I was trying to emulate them and, you know, mimic their behavior, what I saw them to be as first ladies of churches, you know, and married to the pastors. And so it was, you know, very influential. My, my upbringing, being a PK was very influential going into marriage and beyond, you know, I, I, I'm very open by saying when I, when my husband left, is when I started to live. That's when I started to like understand life. The real life. I I didn't know I had lived in a bubble for 20 years, almost 20 years with this man. I, I just really thought life was just whatever it was, we had made it. So when I got into the real world, so to speak, it was like oh my god people do that oh my gosh you know like it was so fascinating to me so after he left i became an alcoholic because i had never had a drink in my life right so here i am 30 uh years old having a drink pretty much for the first time and kind of liking that feeling liking the fact that i could drink this and go to sleep and totally drown out my problems and pretend nothing in the world is wrong I was like, okay, yeah, can I do that again tomorrow? Wow, I can do that again. I can go get these apple martinis, which is what I became addicted to. And then having been married, obviously I didn't have experiences with other men sexually. And so then I became a bona fide hoe. You know, it was like, okay, so I like you and you like me. You want to do it? I want to do it too. Let's do it. And nobody's going to say anything (laughs) about it. (laughs) So I think I live my life backwards. Mm -hmm. Like the things that people did in their late teens, early twenties and college, you know, getting that experience. I didn't have that at 17. I was a pastor's wife, you know, 18. I was a first lady 25. I was a pastor. So I lived all those years when my peers were out there living their best life. I was out there doing installations and church programs and banquets and stuff. Right. So after I'm, you know, he leaves and I just kind of went wild like I just didn't know how to have these freedoms because I had never had freedom I went from having rules and restrictions at my parents house to being married and having rules and restrictions within the confines of marriage to to just being free to go do what I want to do and I was like a horse out of a stall you know I just went for the races I was like yes let's (laughs) go (laughs) I like, let's do it Is, if i could try it yes let's go and so i mean if for it took a while for me to not look over my shoulder because i was so accustomed to being in atlanta everybody knowing me as pastor d or pastor die lady d Di, lady die and i would just have to be really careful and then i went from that to not nobody care who i was oh i was living my life honey i was Ooh. Listen, I was living my best life. wasn't going back and forth with these. You know what? I was happy, you know, until I wasn't. Mm. Until I crashed, and it was like that ain't even really me. Like I thought that's what people have made me to be, and then I realized, nah, that's kind of that's kind of me though. Like I don't really want to be out here, um you know, being an alcoholic. I don't want to be out here. You know, just sleeping with whoever. And it wasn't that it was just a lot of people. But for me, it was a lot of people. But I, I just, it took me getting pregnant out of wedlock for me to just really open my eyes and see that, okay, this this consequences <laughs> to this type of behavior. I had taught it. I had preached it. But, you know, I had not lived it. So I was far removed from it. Personally, um, I I was only teaching and preaching what I had heard, not what I had lived. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, now when I minister, I'm ministering from a personal place. That's why I think what I my posts and my messages resonate with people because they know I've lived it. It's pretty. That's pretty much. Let me see. I, I can't say that I really had any domestic abuse situations, but anything else you can think of, lived it survived it <laughs> that's the only thing I haven't had to, to uh, thankfully I've not had to deal with that
0: Whew, that's heavy but uh heavy is the head that wears the crown yes and you are an absolute joy and you have been through so much so inspiring um so the next thing that I wanted to ask you was with everything that you've gone through And you have been through a lot, but you also have grown up with spirituality Mm -hmm. Um, at any point in time. Did you blame God for the things that you went through and had the why me moment?
1: I blame God And I was angry with God to a point I quit going to church for years. And that sounds very foreign because I grew up in church. And uh, after having been a pastor, didn't get a divorce, um, I I quit going to church. And I told God, I said, if you ever get me back, then I'm going to be the best Christian. But right now, I'm cool on you. Mm. And I'm cool on everything you stand for because none of that worked for me. I, I was the good girl. I followed the rules. I did what I was taught to do. And look where that got me. You know, I'm here holding the short end of the stick. <clears throat> and so I was angry. I'm going to be talking about this tomorrow at church when I preach. Um, but <laughs> I, I re- I was thinking about this earlier as I was preparing my message for tomorrow. Sometimes we don't understand the parts of our journey that are Mm God-ordained because when we're actually going through the process, it looks like the world is caving in. It looks like you can't catch a break. It looks like even though you may have three good months you, you're going to come back and have nine bad ones and so at the time you're going through you don't know what God was not what self inflicted you just you're just trying to survive it from day to day so you're not really concentrating on how is this adding to where I'm ultimately going right and so God was silent he wasn't speaking. He was it seemed as though he was allowing one bad thing after the other to happen to me. And I'm just like, God, when do I get a break? And and every time I would see a, a, a beam of light and I go towards it, by the time I got to it, it disappeared. And I could not understand that and did not understand that I was going through a divine journey um, that was ultimately going to lead me to as you'll probably hear me say tomorrow the palace i'm preaching about joseph and joseph, joseph we know goes through the pit stop and then he gets a break and then he ends up dealing with this her, his boss's wife who is just hell bent on trying to get him to do something. And Joseph is like, look, I got it good. I don't want to mess this up. I'm finally at a place where I'm content. Okay. Forget the dream. Forget about I had that dream. I just want to be content. I'm not in the pit. I'm not in slavery anymore. I actually got a good job. And then all of a sudden his life is turned upside down and he finds himself in another place of bondage, which is the prison. And so all of these moments though, were divine because each one of those steps led him to where he be ultimately became ruler over everything. And so I was angry with God because I could not see, or I did not understand how I could be a good person, how I could try my best to treat everybody, right. How I could do my, do my darnest to please God. And then this is where I end up. So I stopped going to church. Um, I stopped, I, I, I didn't want people talking to me about the word and God forbid any prophets try to come around me and you give me a word and you know God told me to tell you I was and I remember saying one time can God just do one thing he already said before he add on to what what you what you say he add on to it can he just go back and do something he already promised me because right now I'm not seeing none of that so I don't want to add on no more promises I don't need another word from God if he could just do one, one of the other words from like three years ago I'll be happy you know and so I was so upset and I it, it took a while I'll be honest with you. It wasn't one of those moments where I woke up one day and said, "Okay, I'm just going to get back to God. I'm just going no, I, it was literally a process back. It was me being reacquainted with what I know God promised me. And see a lot of times when we go through the pit, when we go through the prison, we lose contact with the dream. We lose, we lose our excitement for the dream. We lose our hope for the dream. And so then you build a life based on the hand that you were dealt. (laughs) 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 Oh Lord. And so, um, that's (sighs) what I did. And then one day I was like, but I know, but I know this was my dream. I know what God promised me. And I had to take one day at a time, one step at a time. And what it did was it made me conscious of every decision because I'm like, is this a distraction? Or is this a necessary step to get to my next place? If you ever figure out how to identify those distractions versus the necessary steps then you'll never be confused as to which way to go in life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not trying to make you cry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh my god. Yeah, we settle for versions of the dream. After it takes a while for it to happen, we settle for versions of it and we make ourselves content. And we say, you know, that's okay. I don't have to, I don't have to have all of that. I'll just I'll just do this. Who, you know, why did I even think that was possible in the first place? Why did I think I could do that? You know. So, I'll just If I can just do this right here, then I'll be satisfied. I'll be content. But inside, there's something that's pushing you or pulling you, saying, no, this is not it. There's more. There's greater. There's bigger. Yeah. Oh, my God.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I had this conversation yesterday with, um, with a friend of mine. I just went through Um, A very, very, very severe breakup Uh um, after being with Samani for four years. And Uh exactly what you just said a few minutes ago was what I told her. I knew that he wasn't the man for me. But Uh if he gave me this much, Uh it was enough. Uh Because I had such a glimmer of hope. Mm-hmm. that if he could give me this much and mm-hmm. everything else
1: you'll fix it you right. on that. right
0: right mm-hmm. and i knew i knew for a fact that this wasn't this wasn't the man for me mm-hmm. but i was holding on to a dream mm-hmm. literally mm-hmm. and it's um it's always uncomfortable especially when you know the person or you think you know the person you've known them for a long time Uh so it's kind of like well they're my friend they wouldn't do anything to hurt me blah 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 but it's the ones that 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 know you they always hurt you the most or the worst oh yeah and um I actually have a tattoo that says that um only those you trust can betray you and I definitely trusted that person And um I don't hate him. Uh I don't hate you know, I don't hate him because the signs and the symbols, the the things that he put in front of me, the representative that he showed me, it was there. Uh But I didn't want to see I didn't want to see who he was for real. Uh So Uh um that that resonated and I know for a fact that that was that was something that it catapulted me the first time because I wrote a book about it. And I know that me being able to speak about it now is kind of like a pushpin. Like I know that me being able to talk about it this time and the finality of it it will be able to Push me beyond. And help somebody else. This Mm -hmm. is the same thing. Because um, this time around. It was more severe. It was definitely a a severe breakup. It actually affected my mental health. Mm -hmm. uh, Because I had that going on. And other things like Mm work. And friendships. So it was. It was a
1: pandemic. Isolated for a while too. Yeah for normalcy. I get it.
0: So Mm -hmm. I spiraled. And um, I tanked. Mm-hmm. I tanks. I tanked I don't know if um, I don't think anybody. I don't think anybody knew, but it it really really affected me. And then I found myself like I, I grew up in church, and you know I don't have a spirit. I don't have a church home right mm-hmm. now, and hard during the pandemic because at the very moment when I said, you know, I need to find a church out here in New York that I actually want to go to. Um, that's when the pandemic hit. And then they weren't doing anything. Churches, the church was shut down. Right, so I was like, you're stuck. But um, well, you can was, be a member
1: at the Love Church. Oh, find a local yes, church. Man, yes, man, yes, yes, <laughs>
0: yes. And um, we're gonna get to that because I we definitely need to talk about that. But um, it was it was at that point when you know I found myself having conversations and you know. I say that I talk to myself, but those that know me, they know when I talk to myself, I'm really talking to God, Uh and sometimes you have to verbally cry out to him, Uh and it's not like he doesn't hear you, he hears Uh you, he always hears us, he always hears us, but we have to cry out to him, and I found myself doing that in the shower, and... I had the best conversation in the bathroom. I don't know. Maybe it's it's the acoustics. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I definitely was crying out to him. And um and it was at that moment when I realized something has to change. I can't do it anymore. Right. I have to. I have to. Um wow. Whew. It's deep. Okay. <laughs> now about your amazing amazing journey with the love church i know that mm-hmm. it's gone through um first of all the, the the name of the name alone is is one that is so welcoming whether you whether you say the name out loud the love church or you you know go by its initials tlc yeah. mm-hmm. that, <laughs> like you, you get can, it you can't run from it but the love is there mm-hmm. um it, Tell me more about it. What 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 made you oh, decide to get back, even though you never left, but get back and establishing yourself um, as a pastor?
1: Yeah. So when I got a divorce, you know, our church that we had at the time was called Agape Global Church. Agape meaning the unconditional love of God. And so it was so um, significant to the purpose that my ex husband and I felt we were brought to the earth for, which was to love people. And we had established that when I was 17 years old. We were riding one night and, and, and I told him, I said, I'm here to love people. I know that's why God put me here. I had no idea the challenges that I would face where it would require me to love, even though it hurt, you know. But then after we got a divorce, I, as I said, I spiraled downward. But I had an opportunity to do a project for Bishop. Uh, Jake's, and this was 2016 or 2015. And I remember sitting in Publix, which is a grocery store here in Atlanta, um, the parking lot of Publix, and I heard God say to me, Your purpose didn't die with your marriage. And I just, I broke down. I was crying and I was like, Oh my gosh, you know, wow, type thing. Mm -hmm. And so that was a moment where I realized that at some point I would go back into ministry. And so then in 2016, 17 I was I announced that I was getting ready to do the love church and I was like I can't run from this anymore I got a vision for it and then I got deterred off my path um listening to other people and I got deterred and and in hindsight I think it was a divine uh thing because I have learned so much in four years And um, and and I did everything I could. I moved to L.A. trying to run from it. I got involved with somebody else's ministry, trying not to do it. And I was just like, "Okay, God, this it was literally June of this year that I said, "Okay, God, you got my yes, because what do we need now more than anything? We need love. We've gone through um, the worst, probably world event of our generation. And there are a lot of people who are struggling to hold on to hope. All of us have pretty much lost someone to COVID-19 or either the Delta variant. Most people I talk to have lost at least one person that they know personally that has affected them. And me, myself, having had it and then experiencing strokes, it just kind of put a lot of things in perspective for me. And I said to God, I don't want to die for I want to die empty. I want to die knowing that I at least said yes to everything that you told me to do. And I at least tried it, even if it don't work right. And so it was real simple what I would name the church. Because again, I feel my purpose on earth is to love people and to to love Christ. But then it was meeting my ex-husband's mistress, the woman he left me for. It was meeting her and becoming friends with her accepting their children as my own children that really taught me or that really showed me that there was a love inside of me that was just unexplainable. Everybody was around me. was like, how can you love her? How can you treat her? It was, it was, it was that moment that I met her that I recognized that I was in a test. God was testing me. Can you really love everybody? Can you really love anybody? no matter where they come from, no matter what they've done, no matter what they've done to you, can you really love them? Show them the love of God. And so I said to her the first day we met, I said, I'm here to finish the assignment that my ex-husband left where he left off at. I'm here to finish it. And we were no longer married. Uh, They were, they had just broken up. And even when I was saying it to her, I'm thinking I must be crazy. Like I'm, I, i don't even know what i just said you know but it was i just felt like that was what i was supposed to say and um she's she's she is now a member of love church she actually relocated to atlanta to be a part of the church um girls i'm on an interview (laughs) my daughter is behind no 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 i'm on an interview literally live please go away thank you (laughs) <laughs> I guess I've been on this too long I'll be off shortly
0: yeah I'm not gonna hold you too long
1: I'm sorry what I won't be on much longer give me five minutes okay I'm sorry y'all I'm being a mom it's okay. and, a baby, and a babysitter it's okay <laughs> um but I always use that example because that was probably the most one of the most difficult test of my life, to be able to love the woman who at one point I blamed for ruining my marriage, ruining my life. Mm. Ultimately, that is the reason why I got a divorce. That was the reason why I quit pastoring because our church dismantled shortly after that. All of the blood, sweat, tears that we put into that ministry came to nothing. Um, I became bankrupt because of it, homeless because of it. All of these things happened because of that. And to be able to embrace her, you would never know it now. Because again, you know, she's on the board of directors at my church. And um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a physical example of what agape looks like. And so I feel as though I have been called to love people. And so my prayer every week is not for God to help me to preach better, but it's to help me love better. Because if we learn to love people right, if we learn to love people well, I think we would have a more positive image of relationships, whether romantic or platonic, whether it's business. I think we would see brighter days. Um, And so, yeah, it's. It's a heavy assignment because it's not easy loving people who aren't like you.
0: Right, right, right. But but, you, but it's you're a doing it. yeah,
1: it's a necessary one. And God is love, first John four and eight. Yes. He is love. You can't say you know God and you don't know love. Yeah, mm. you can't say you love God and you don't love people. That he's the personification of what love is. And the goal, only two commandments that Jesus ever gave us was to love our neighbors as ourselves. Oops. Uh oh. I, th- I think I lost. Uh oh.
0: No. Wait. I see you. You see me? I see you. You see me.
1: somebody. Okay. I see you. Somebody was trying to call me. Oh. Okay.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Um, a very good conversation I didn't even realize we were talking this long I swear now I know why Victoria has to has a chunk of six
1: hours yeah we have like, to have an agenda when we talk like okay we're gonna talk about this talk about that yes yes I. everybody says I'm easy to talk to and so yes. that could be good or bad that could be good or bad because I take up all your time but no I have no. thoroughly enjoyed the conversation and I
0: you really, you have um if 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 I didn't say it before um I, I totally, I absolutely appreciate you. I appreciate you speaking with me today. I know that this is, even though um, we're, not strangers to, we're not strangers to each other um, online, this is our first <laughs> time meeting face-to-face, and it's absolutely a pleasure and a joy. And um, you are a mom, you are a businesswoman, you are once, and I feel like I've taken up so much of your time. But um, okay. Okay. really quick, tell me exactly where um, we can find you, especially on social media.
1: Yes, I'm on all social media as I am Dishan. Um, That's Instagram, Twitter, Dyshan Patrice on Facebook. If you want my personal page, Um, the Love Church Atlanta is our church page. We'll be streaming there tomorrow um, and every Sunday at 9 a.m. 9 a.m. Yep, 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And then DishanPatrice.com and TLCAtlanta.org are the two websites where you can stay connected to me and what I'm doing, what I have going on.
0: Awesome. I really, really appreciate you speaking with us today. And um, thank you for having me. Of course. And I definitely look forward to, to, to meeting with you again. And when I'm in Atlanta, I will
1: look you up. Yes, please do that. Keep in touch with me. Absolutely okay well you have an amazing day and know that you are in my prayers breakups are never easy um, and it takes a a little time to kind of get over those breakups but you're strong and I believe that what's for you is coming faster than you even realize but sometimes something has to get out of the way to make room for what's really supposed to be there so you be encouraged by that oh Jesus (laughs) Just be open, be open. Give yourself an expiration date on your pain. And be open. Be open. Yes. I I will.
0: <laughs> will. Oh Lord. There <laughs> you go preaching to me. Ma'am. I can't <laughs> listen today. You. you have made me cry already. But um I thank you and I love you. I really do. Love you more. Um, we'll definitely talk soon offline.
1: Okay. All right. And kiss the kids. I will. I will. They're going to be happy to know they can get a snack now. (laughs) All All right. right. Good one.
0: You too.